1: I'm Candace Lim, and you're listening to ICY YMI. in case you missed it, Sleet's podcast about internet culture. And I know you all miss Rachel as much as I do, so here's an update from our girl. Apparently, last week, a location scout knocked on Rachel's door and said, Hey, no big deal. We're gonna be shooting a campaign in your building today. Shouldn't make too much noise. Then at 10 a.m., they're stomping, running, coming from above. Rachel is banging her broom on the ceiling, telling those kids to quiet down. They don't. So Rachel, as a leader in her community, goes up to the roof and she sees Jeremy Allen White shooting a Calvin Klein campaign. And look... Rachel is not chef-matized, okay? She goes up to Mr. Alan White himself and says, hey, keep it down. We're taking our midday naps over here. And Jeremy's like, oh my God, so sorry. And Rachel's about to go back down when she says, hey, by the way, have you ever thought about shooting this commercial vertically? And the director is like, what? And she's like, yeah, for TikTok, it might be cool to shoot it like in portrait mode. Jeremy jumps out of his Calvin Klein jeans and he says, yes, chef. So that is the story of how Rachel Hampton ended up shooting the Jeremy Allen White Calvin Klein campaign on her iPhone. And while Rachel is living the best life of every social media manager, we are here today to talk about what 2024 might look like for the music industry. We've done episodes about Ice Spice, Addison Rae, SpongeBob, and I think what intrigued us about those artists is that they have kind of bypassed the traditional industry method of becoming a huge star. Because, you know, right now, it's not guaranteed for the winner of, like, The Voice or American Idol to make it big. Instead, it's a lot of artists posting mixtapes on SoundCloud or acoustic covers on YouTube and relying on their small but mighty internet fan bases to catapult them to motherdom. But what if I told you? That there is a pop star on the rise this year who comes from the world of So You Think You Can Dance.
0: My name is Tate McRae. I'm 12 years old and I'm from Calgary, Canada.
1: In my family, I have my mom slash my dance teacher and my dad and my brother. My dad is a lawyer and my brother is a hockey player. So, this is a 12-year-old Tate McRae auditioning for the 13th season of So You Think You Can Dance. She goes on to place third that season, and Tate remains in L.A. because she's from Canada. And she keeps dancing, but she also starts posting videos of her singing. And from there, Tate is trying to make it as a pop star. She drops EPs, an album. And she's not exactly in conversation with rising stars like Renee Rapp or Sabrina Carpenter, but in November of 2023... Her label announces that she is coming out with a second album. And this is when Tate starts to feel inescapable because within the next two months, she is performing at the Billboard Music Awards, Jimmy Fallon, and Saturday Night Live. Now, I cannot say that I'm a tater tot. Yes, that is the beta name of her fans right now. But I am intrigued because in a way, Tate McRae is one of the most traditional pop stars we've seen in a while. There are quite a few people on the internet who have called Tate an industry plant, and they use that term for artists like Olivia Rodrigo or Ice Spice just because they seem to explode out of nowhere, because they weren't, like, cooking publicly. But Tate was on a big show, like Ariana Grande on Victorious. She was discovered at a young age on YouTube, like... Justin Bieber by Usher. And because she's documented her whole career online, we have the receipts to trace back where Tate came from and how she possibly worked her way up. Because while one side of the internet is throwing industry plant accusations at her, the other side created the foundation for her rise. So, on today's show, we're going to do a digital dive on Tate McRae. We'll talk about the phases of her career, how the internet feels about her, and whether her pop star era was inevitable. Stick around. I'll be back with culture journalist Kat Casado after the break. Hey there. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Slate Plus. With Slate Plus, there are no ads on any Slate podcasts. And Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, You'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Dear Prudence, Slow Burn, and Political Gab Fest. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit Slate.com slash Plus to sign up. That's Slate.com slash Plus. And we're back. I am so excited because returning to the octagon is Kat She She's a culture journalist who's written for places like NPR Music, V Magazine, and WNYC. Welcome back, Kat.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Candace. I'm so excited to talk about who we're talking about today. Me too.
1: So Kat, you're here because I think it's time we talk about... Tate McRae, okay? I feel like for the past few Januaries, there's always been like a covert artist that kind of pops up randomly in January. You know, January is traditionally a pretty dead month in terms of like album releases, press cycles. But in January of 2021, a little girl named Olivia Rodrigo comes out with driver's license. She's been famous ever since. January of 2023, Ice Spice drops her EP, Like... And this year, I have to wonder if that girl, the January girl, is Tate McRae. She just came out with a new album. It's called Think Later. And she is going to go on a 57-show world tour this year. She's doing the Greek theater, Madison Square Garden. She's going all the way to New Zealand. I wonder if it's time for us to dissect the journey. So let me start here. Kat. What is your relationship to Tate McRae? Do you like her? When did she first enter your
2: consciousness? Tate McRae is one of those artists that I personally don't like or dislike. Mm. She's one of those people that I'm incredibly fascinated by. And I think the fact that she has equal parts like mediocrity mixed with like talent make her so confusing and like mind boggling to me that I'm very interested and invested in her. But I don't actually have an opinion on her like either way. That's good. You're
1: in, like, your music journalist zone, okay? You're entering this with investigations only. Absolutely. So I think the best way to digest the Tate McRae experience is to break it up into five parts. Kat, you are a scholar of the field, so where should we start?
2: Some people would say we have to start at So You Think You Can Dance. Right. I would agree with most of those Tate McRae scholars. However, I will say that, like, we should back up with Tate McRae's journey for a little bit and just talk about like her origin story as like a person. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's really hard to talk about Tate McRae as an artist because she is 20. We don't have a long runway with her. Right. Um a lot of people call Tate McRae an industry plant. I would say that like that's not correct because of how she began. Yeah. The reason why I say that is like Tate McRae is just somebody who had a lot of access and a lot of privilege and a lot of proximity to like opportunity and leveraged it really well. And kind of where this all began was like, she's been in dance school since she was a a literal toddler in Canada. She also did a brief stint in Oman. Um, Her family moved to Oman when she was very young and she like was enrolled at, um, I think it's the Oman Academy of Dance. And she studied under some like heavy headers. And uh, her parents were really supportive of her dance career. She kind of figured out from very young on that she wanted to do dancing and she wanted to do singing. And so kind of around six, seven years old is when she really started her career. From there, she did a ton of like dancing both in Oman and in Calgary, Alberta, where she's from in Canada. And if you look at her Wikipedia page, they will say that she went on tour with Justin Bieber. The real story is Justin Bieber on his Purpose tour was pulling up kids From the audience to do a little dance battle during his song Children. And she was selected, she got up on stage, she did a little dancing.
1: Everyone has said to me, Oh my god, you've like, you were Justin Bieber's main backup dancer, and I'm like, I was 12. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's no chance I would be his backup dancer. (laughs) So was you literally in the crowd and he and he pulled you up? No, it It was not even that. There was like on his purpose tour, he'd pick like four kids. (laughs) And they were like dancers. He'd audition them.
2: Right. Uh, like,
1: wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she goes on to what we kind of all know her for. So you think you can dance. She auditions in Los Angeles at the age of 13. And she hits third place. And she kind of peaks there at third place. And that's kind of the beginning of Tate McRae as like a superstar. From there, she like amasses a pretty decent like online following. And she starts making YouTube videos. Her YouTube series called create with tate it's very cute she is 13 years old posting these videos of her like dancing pretty consistently and then one day one fateful day back in 2017 she pulls up her her computer and she says i'm going to perform a song for my audience she performs her song one day she
1: stares at her ceiling once again with a hundred thoughts maybe he knows
2: who i am actually probably not one day it goes massively viral i think today if you go look up that video right now it has 60 million views on youtube and it's a a very sweet like heartfelt love song and it captures the fascination of young people online in 2017 and then from that moment on the record labels were calling
1: I want to definitely put a little stake in the ground right here, because one day I watched this video of this girl who admitted that she is writing about something she's never experienced, which is fine. She's like, what, 13, 14, maybe 15 at this point. And The way that she kind of gets viral on YouTube, because like one person in the industry saw her, it reminded me a lot of like Usher discovering Justin. Or it also reminded me of Scooter discovering Madison. And the first thing I've noticed about Tate is there's something about her even now that almost feels like she was ahead of the time. I keep forgetting that she's only 20 because she seems like she's 26. She seems like someone who was grinding it out in college, just making mixtapes with her friends, trying to play at any show. And it's like, no, 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 no. She was her own dance mom. That's the vibe I get. Absolutely. So after One Day comes out, would you say this is when she's really trying to define herself as a capital S singer? Because around this time, she releases EPs and stuff, right?
2: Yes. So I'd say right after One Day blew up, I, like, I think it's really important to note kind of the context in which the, the state of the music industry is in when she releases the song, because this happens in summer-ish of 2017. Summer of 2017, there was a massive gap for, like, the young Gen Z girlies and the, like, older Gen Alpha girls who are children. There's no, like, celebrity for them to latch on right? Like, older Gen Z, we had Miley Cyrus, we had Selena Gomez, we had Demi Lovato. This generation at that time, the music industry was very much looking for the person to push out to these young people. Immediately after uh, One Day Blows Up, It's she's, she said in interviews, it's like 10 or 11 days after One Day Blows Up, she has like 11 record labels calling her. Hi, we want meetings with you in New York. She flies to New York. And she ends up going with RCA. She has this first EP. It's called All the Things I've Never Said. It really kind of flops within the context of the mainstream. Like she doesn't get any number one. She doesn't chart on the Canadian chart. She doesn't chart on the American charts. She only goes gold in I think Turkey, but it really resonated with her fans. And I think she had some heavy hitters writing on that album. I mean, she has Billie Eilish writing for her. She has Billie Eilish's brother, Phineas O'Connell writing for her. She has BB Rexa writing for her. So there's enough leverage and momentum there. For her to make a second ep that second ep too young to be sad is what catapults miss tate McRae to the literal stratosphere if you owned a car with a radio in 2020 then i know you heard her lead single you broke me first off of too young to be sad
1: This is when I entered the Tate mcrae sphere. I did listen to the song. I have to admit, I did kind of love this song because to me, she was like a softer, more palatable Billie Eilish, a less scary Billie Eilish. And that raspiness that they both share, it was there. That vocal sadness was there. But I felt like Tate McRae maybe was, like, the less depressed Billie Eilish. I mean, what do you think about this era and her sound? Like, at this time, what type of artist do you think she was trying to be?
2: At this time in her life, Tate McRae is in the pocket sonically for who she is as a person. Mm -hmm. During the too young to be sad era, she leans into, like, a very sad girl, but, like, not, like you said, not scary sad girl, not angry sad girl, Mm -hmm. not depressed sad girl, Mm-hmm. more of like a love obsessed forlorn i want to find the love of my life you hurt my feelings i'm really sad type mm-hmm. of bedroom pop that i think really resonates with a young person and i think it's also like what catapulted her to the kind of top 100s on american radio play at the time and what made her so viral on tiktok
1: yeah and at some point we get to May 2022, Tate McRae puts out an actual album. It's called I Used to Think I Could Fly. First off, what would you call this era, Kat?
2: I would call this era the most fun Tate McRae has ever had on a record up until Mm -hmm. this point. This era is very much Tate McRae's internal battle with her team era. Okay. Because this is very much the time you can feel the presence of her team kind of pushing her away from the bedroom pop, the sad girl music, wanting her to lean into kind of her dance background, wanting her to have a little bit more pop and a little bit more fun in the music that she's putting out. She puts out her lead single, She's All I Want to Be, and it's an incredibly fun, like angsty, super upbeat anthem for like the heartbroken girls who are jealous like very much Mm -hmm. like the predecessor to lacy from Mm -hmm. olivia rodrigo but in a Mm -hmm. fun way the music doesn't match the lyrics in this era of her music the themes that she's exploring are sadness and teenage like angst and jealousy and depression in a young person and and yet the music makes you want to like jump around and go to a party And like they're having her dance on stage, like these intricate and really poppy dance numbers where she's talking about how she hates herself and wants to be somebody else more than anything else in the world. So it's it's that first album is very much the kind of like internal struggle between who Tate McCrae kind of sees herself as within the context of her songwriting and who her team thinks she can become.
1: Yeah, and at
2: this point,
1: who are her fans and like how much of that has to do with her internet history, create with Tate? How much of that has to do with people who like loved her since So You Think You Can Dance? And how many of it is people coming to her new and being like, she's she's being validated by the industry? Yeah,
2: I'm into her. I definitely think that she kind of catapulted to fame riding off of the backs of her So You Think You Can Dance, create with Tate fandom. Mm -hmm. Up until You Broke Me First. After that, she gets this whole new onset of fans that are kind of really riding and rocking with her to the end. Like, I'd say that the fans that are behind her during her I Used to Think I Could Fly era are the fans that she kind of gathered up during her You Broke Me First, Too Young to Be Sad era. She didn't really gain new fans during this time. The I Used to Think I Could Fly really flew under the radar for the general public. Yeah. Yeah, like... They did well on like the music charts and they were getting radio play, but it was nothing to the magnitude of You Broke Me First. It was her, her, I get to play around and figure out who I am and and decide which pathway I'm going to go down a time. And her fans were, gave her a lot of leverage and leeway there, I think.
1: Yeah. And I kind of want to ask. What do you think, at this point, her relationship with her fans was like? Like, was she responding to them on the internet? Did she loved to, like, be part of, you know, fan clubs and doing, like, I don't know, live
2: streams and stuff? Absolutely. I think Tame McRae has never really lost that. I think that's mm-hmm. what makes her so beloved within her fandom. She's one of those artists, very similar to, I would say, Madison Beer in that way, sure. where you get kind of famous off of the community you built online and you never really like let go of the tactics that you picked up while working as a YouTuber or while building your fandom um, from that era. So like Tate McRae is very, very, very active on TikTok. She plays around with memes. She's always making videos of herself where like her music is the only audio that's on the video. And then she puts like a text caption on the screen. That's like very in line with young girls on TikTok and kind of the way that they use TikTok. Um, She also does a lot of dancing and she kind of participates in the trends. And she's also like if people do covers of her songs, she'll get on there and like stitch or duet them and be like, oh, my God, you did so great. I think she's very active online in a way that only somebody from her generation could be active online and succeed.
1: Yeah. And we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, Kat and I will dive into Tate McRae's current era. And we're back. So Tate McRae's current phase, which is earmarked by the release of her latest album, Think Later. And I have to say, this is when my ears definitely perked up on Tate because she was on SNL, the Today Show, every single late night show except James Corden. And like, it's pretty clear to me that her record label thinks that she is it, that she is the pop girly to watch this year. And I just want to know, what is your read of this era? Like, is it Tate McRae's
2: world and we're just living in it? I have a very complicated read on this era of Tate McRae because I think that ultimately this is Tate McRae's era where she's cashing in on the promise that and potential that her record label first saw in her when she signed to them originally. Mm-hmm. She's delivering this high, poppy, Y2K, Christina Aguilera type uh, celebrity that is really missing within the music industry right now. Here's the thing. I don't think that that is who she genuinely is. And I don't think that that's the persona that she believes herself to be as a songwriter. She's spoken in several interviews before about kind of this frustration that she has Um and this intense dif- divide that she feels internally between herself as a singer songwriter and herself as a dancer. Um. Well, for so long,
1: I have found it impossible to mesh my dancing and my singing. Um. And I was just like, there's, there's two different entities of me. Like I'm a songwriter at like deep down inside and
2: this is my therapy. But then I'm also like, I'm a dancer. And I just had no idea how to put those two worlds together. And So because of that, I just don't know if she's going to be able to sustain this kind of success long term because Mm -hmm. because it's not who she is and it's not who she wants to be, but it's who she promised or it's who record labels believed she could become. And so I think that tension, it marks a very interesting divide in her career right now.
1: Yeah. I think it's actually kind of shocking that she said that about greedy and exes because on one hand, you could take that to mean like, oh, she's like trying to push boundaries, push her limits and kind of break out of it. But the other hand of me kind of sees her being actually apprehensive about the projection and like who she wants to be. So maybe this is a good time to dissect her Saturday Night Live performance. What do you think of the songs she chose? And like, what do you think about the performances themselves?
2: So I will say this. I saw the Grave performance. I cannot tell you a singular moment from that song. Yeah. I think the only, the only song from that performance that made noise was Greedy.
1: Yeah. yeah. How would you describe this performance for those who haven't seen
2: it? It's very much Christina Aguilera, Dirty. But for Gen Z, who never got to actually witness Christina Aguilera at that time, it feels like that performance is very much an intentional decision to just try to take from the aesthetics of like Y2K, which are really like out there and really exciting. And a lot of the Gen Z girls who, like I said, haven't experienced that for themselves um are really fascinated by feels like an attempt to take that and repackage those experiences for a new generation it didn't really feel innovative or exciting to me it's not groundbreaking to me though and it also like it just feels it feels like a cra- cash grab to me and it makes me sad cuz i kind of do like Tate McRae i like the the version of herself that she gets to become when she's in control of her narrative
1: yeah because i think what i'm gathering from your very well-explained phases of Tate McRae is that there has always been this tension between Tate McRae, the performer, dancer, and Tate McRae, the musician, songwriter. And I think the question that I keep asking is like, you know, Tate McRae could have been a really, really good dancer. She could have been the next Twitch. She could have been Maddie Ziegler. And at some point she decided, or she was told that like, hey, you have what it takes to be a pop star, do that. And that is firmly where she is now. I mean, like, what do you think happened? Or what? why do you think she has chosen to be that, to be a pop star when she really could be so many other great things?
2: Yeah, I think that... She went down this path because it was too lucrative not to, in the sense that when she had people looking at her after One Day blew up in twenty seventeen, I'm a hundred percent sure she said this herself in interviews. Record labels were foaming at the mouth to sign this girl, and the reason why is because they saw her as the greedy Tate McRae back when she was fourteen, and in twenty seventeen in her bedroom, there is this investment in. That music executives saw in her of like bringing back that like 20, 20 18, 19, 20, 21 year old pop star doing the scantily clad thing, doing the dance thing, not really singing as much. And they saw that in her when she was 14 because of her success on So You Think You Can Dance because she held her own with adults in a way that like nobody else was doing at 14 years old back then. And they saw the, oppor- they saw the opportunity and they mined it. And like their, their investment paid off because right around the time that she aged out of it being like very creepy and weird is right yeah. around the time they were able to launch this era for her. I think that like all of this energy and all of this aesthetic branding comes from a place that was kind of predestined from her the moment that she got all of this attention from one day.
1: I want to ask you about one person who comes to mind in terms of, like, someone who is technically a dancer and tried pop, and her name is Addison Ray. And I just wanted to ask, like, what do you think are the differences between them? Because Tate McRae is having the year that Addison Ray's people thought she would. She was almost there and something happened. And on top of that, Addison Ray does have like a performer aesthetic of like let me use the tiktok transferable skills over here tate is kind of similar why is it that tate
2: can fly but addison could not i think fundamentally addison ray gives industry plant way more than tate mccray does Mm. and i think that even if she's not an industry plant even if she's worked for even if she has the transferable skills i don't think that her audiences are convinced by her music career and the way that Tate McRae's audiences are convinced by her music career. Tate McRae has always been a little singer-songwriter. She was doing it, and she was doing it when nobody was watching her. So Mm -hmm. she's had this history of being a singer-songwriter, and she's had this, I think, authenticity in the context of her music career that Addison Rae will simply never be able to replicate, whereas Tate McRae, you could tell that that girl, she had that passion, that dedication, that investment in music, Be good or be bad, be mediocre, whatever you want to call her. She had that interest. And Addison Rae just doesn't doesn't have that authenticity. And so a lot of her fans, especially like the the TikTok fans and her younger fans, just aren't going to go out in droves to go to rally behind her. Also, we have to remember Tate McRae's fan base is very much like within her age range. Mm. Like, they're not super young compared to her. Like, and people our age talk about Tate McRae and talk about her music. Addison Rae's fan base is significantly younger than her. Her audience does not match her music. Whereas Tate McRae, she knows her audience and she markets to them.
1: Yeah. And I want to ask, at this moment, how do you think the internet feels about Tate McRae? Are they helping her success? Are they hurting her success?
2: What is their role in her ecosystem? It depends on what part of the internet we're talking about, I think. Mm-hmm her fans are putting in levels of work that I think are unprecedented for this generation. It's giving directioner. It's giving certain K-pop stands. The fan edits are everywhere. They're working very hard to get her into the mainstream. And it's succeeding. Like, if it wasn't for Greedy going viral on TikTok by her fans, Tate McRae would not have performed on SNL. Mm. And that's not me saying that. I mean, Tate McRae said it herself. She was very hesitant to launch this single because she thought it wasn't going to resonate with people. And there wasn't really a demonstrated amount of success for for this music from somebody like her in a while. So like, the fact that she hit SNL is only because of the success she got on TikTok. But then there's also sections of the internet that like, especially with older Gen Zers and early millennials, Tate McRae She's not convincing most of the general public from that background. A lot of people online make memes about her. Another thing is people from my generation are very adamant about and and frustrated with Tate McRae's ascent and her level of success, specifically because of the space that she occupies within the cultural conversation as like all of her younger fans are saying she brought back dance pop and she brought back dance Mm. for dance and pop music And you have artists like Tinashe and Normani and Chloe Bailey who are constantly brought up in conversation and constantly compared to Tate McRae as almost like a foil to her saying, we've had artists for a very long time, artists who are older than Tate McRae who have been trying to bring dance pop back into the mainstream. Y'all just don't want them. And a lot of that critique comes from the fact that like Tate McRae is white and tinashe normani and chloe bailey are black and and there there's i think conversations there that prohibit tate McRae from really being as famous as she could be with with my generation because so many of her younger fans are like labeling her as this beacon of hope for dance pop and the reality of the situation is that a lot of the stuff that she's doing isn't new and directing the conversation um around kind of the, the transformational elements of Tate McRae's career just fall flat. And it it, it alienates her from a lot of, of, of other potential fans. Her stands both help and hurt her when it comes to her level of fame and her potency as a pop figure in our pop mainstream.
1: Are there any artists that you think should be in the same conversation as Tate McRae? Almost like if you were to say like, oh, if you like Tate McRae, you should try this person. Or if you like this person, you might like Tate McRae. I
2: like I guess if you like Tate McRae, like check out Dirty by Christina Aguilera. <laughs> like yeah. Ch- check out Gwen Stefani cuz I like that's that's who I think that's who I think she's building on and that's who I think does kind of what she's trying to do a little bit better than her. Um and if you're looking just for like a general pop girl right now, I'd say check Renee Rapp is like, seriously, I think she's going to come for Tate McRae's throne next year. I think Ooh. at the end of 2024, Renee Rapp is going to be a bigger household name than Tate McRae is right now.
1: Okay, that's the show. I want to thank Kat Spizzato for joining me on today's episode. You can find her work on WNYC. NPR Music, and her Substack Pop Closure, where she writes about One Direction, the legacies, and why The Summer I Turned Pretty is just the Vampire Diaries repackaged. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at IcyYMI underscore pod, and you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra spragley Bricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our Senior Supervising Producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's Vice President of Audio. See you online or on the Billboard charts.